Nation. This is Clay Frost. Today we have a very special guest, my friend Duncan French. He's with the Performance Institute. How you doing, Duncan? Very good, Clay. Nice to see you again, and uh, thanks for the opportunity. No problem. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Um, one thing I, I want you to explain to everybody what your role is with the Performance Institute, and and kind of give them an idea of like your role for the UFC fighter. Yeah, no, I'm uh, the Vice President of Performance for the UFC Performance Institute, which is um, centralized at the HQ in uh, Las Vegas. Um, but we also have a, a large satellite center in Shanghai, China now. So the, the Performance Institute is a, a global infrastructure, let's say, that is um, designed to support the UFC fighters on our roster um, with everything from health, well-being, performance, um, you name it that you would expect for a, for a professional athlete. And then um, over in China, we have an academy system where we have a, around 30, 36 fighters and a full-time academy um, that are trying to get into the, the greater UFC. And it's a, a development pathway, let's say. So, yeah, my, my role is to manage the, the strategy and, and the kind of any interface with the fighters is, is kind of my responsibility to coordinate the team and how we go about our business. Love it. Love it. That's so awesome. It's a big deal to have you on the show. I love what the UFC is doing with the Performance Institute, so I had to, had to snag you for it. Um, first and foremost, Duncan, what, is, what does it mean to you to thrive? Just as a definition, what does it look like? What does it feel like? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a really good question because I think, you know, in sport, often it's a roller coaster, and I think we get um, that there's times when, in, you know, particularly in pro sport, which I have the, the pleasure of, of working in, that um, it's a real roller coaster with ups and downs. And sometimes you feel like you're on top of the mountain, and other times you feel like someone's got their foot on your throat. And, um, you know, I think for me, when I feel like I'm thriving, I feel, you know, energized and totally engaged. Um, you know, approachable, high energy, good fun to be around, um, you know, a, a, an empathetic ear, um, very productive um, in my work. I feel like I get stuff done. Um, yeah, just a, a good person, a good human, you know, I think that's, uh, but it's, it's about energy. I'm a big believer in kind of personal energy and, and you know, you have a, a bank account worth of energy and I think, you know, how you manage that is, is critical. That's awesome. For, for those who've listened to other episodes, that's actually something that, to my surprise, has come up very consistently across episodes is the energy that mm -hmm. people have. And, and that's kind of an indicator of thriving. It's hard to say that, that it's, it's hard to observe someone else thriving if they have zero energy. Like that just doesn't. And I like how you yeah. explain that. If, you know, energy leads to motivation. It leads to productivity. It leads to enthusiasm and enjoyment. Um, mm. It leads to all of those different things. So, you know, it's, it, it's a real key to what we do with respect to thriving in our life and our work, I feel. I like that a lot. Now, I like going to the complete opposite. I like learning from the contrast. So what's the opposite of thriving? Yeah, I mean, listen, I can I can very much relate to that because I've had periods of you know depression myself, and I've been very much in a you know dark places with work overload and um, you know not enjoying my day to day. But for, you know, for, from a, a generic kind of reflection perspective, the opposite of thriving is just um, lack of motivation, lack of execution, lack of engagement, um, isolation. Um, removal from social situations and um, you know we're, we're human beings right we're, we're sociable animals we're meant to be sociable and I think when you when you start to you know 
you don't thrive, you start to see people or yourself pull away from those social interactions and frustration arises. And um, it's kind of a snowball effect, I feel, when you get into that kind of rut or that kind of process, it's the compounding problem. Um, you know, the, 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 the removal, the, the, the further distancing, you know, further compounds the feeling of isolation, of lack of productivity, of lack of social interface. So, um, yeah, that, that's the way I perceive it. And certainly what I relate to and I feel like I'm uh, going down a, a slippery slope, let's say, and going to some kind of fatigue and dark places. You know, I need to check my step a little bit and try and figure out what's the, what's the mechanism. That's, I like that a lot. I lo that sounds like something I explained to the athletes I work with as just the suck. Don't get stuck in the suck because it's very easy to get stuck and to stay there and to kind of be in that rut. And I, I, well, like I think, I think you make a great point about the suck and I think it's interpretation of obviously Brene Brown talks about embracing the suck. And I think you can, you can talk about something really sucking like, you know, at the, the the process of training as an athlete is not really glamorous right it's it's a pretty mundane process but yeah. to be better you have to engage in that long-term suck mm -hmm. that long-term um kind of monotony on the flip side of the suck it's like the real suck where it's like my life sucks like this is not good um, mm. I think it's important to partition, you know, interpretation of the suck because you can embrace it and and get after it and just recognize it, or it can consume you and it can become the cause of your downfall. I guess. Yeah, the suck when it has meaning, it sucks a little less and it becomes imperative to the process. Right, I like that right, a lot. right, right. You were telling me before the show a little bit about some pretty important life-altering experiences that you've had and, and you tell me about you came to the states for a phd uh why don't you tell the listeners a bit about that story yeah i mean it listen it was a, a seminal moment for me I'd, i'm obviously from the uk and uh i you know i decided or i had the, the you know i got lucky and got accepted to come to the u.s to, to continue my studies my phd and uh, you know i traveled three and a half four thousand miles kind of packed my bags and, and left my family back in the UK and, and came over to uh, Ball State University at the time in Indiana. It was my first year of where I did my studies. Um, and listen, I was super excited, obviously, as you would be as a, as a new grad to get going and new environment, mm -hmm. new surroundings. And uh, I remember vividly walking in on a Monday morning on, on day one of uh, my PhD. I'd just arrived the Saturday before. So Sunday, I was kind of familiarizing myself, walked into the labs for the first time on Monday morning. Uh, and my principal advisor had a, a lab group meeting. Um, and he, you know, we're all sat in a room, big conferencing table. And he went through every single, mem every single student, let's say. Most of them had been there, you know, for a number of years. I was the new guy. And he went through every single one and he said, you know, Anna, you're going to be prioritizing this project. You're working on this. Mickey, you're doing this. Nick, these are your responsibilities. And he got to the end of the line of seven people. And he said, Duncan, um, I don't even know why you're here. I must have had a moment of weakness. And the kind of room fell silent. And I was obviously, like, my jaw dropped. So I was like, holy shit. Like, what, like what, what did he just say? Does he, does he want me here? Does he not want me here? And then um, that moment was like a real eye opener for me. Um, in as much as 
nothing's given like you've got to prove yourself for every moment every step is, is is kind of a competition to demonstrate your worth and your value um and that kind of moment really resonates and sits with me in everything i do right now um because i don't want someone to say that to me again it was horrible um yeah. i want to see value of duncan french rather than like i must have had a weakness why the hell are you here Um, <laughs> just go over there and follow mickey and do what he does you know um so yeah, that was a real eye opener for me, and um, certainly something which brought reality to the to the equation pretty quickly. Did you feed off that motivation from that statement? Why did it not break you? And like, because well, I could hear that that statement be just break other people and just kind of like maybe transfer, do something else. Why did that not break you? Yeah, I mean, it's true. I, I was pretty cut up at the time. I was like, oh my gosh, I go back to the UK. Um, but yeah, you either, I mean, you take on the challenge, right? You're laying down a line in the sand and I'm going to now try and challenge you and demonstrate my value and my worth. Um, and that then became my kind of mantra for the next four years of my PhD is to work my ass off to show this guy who was doubting why he brought me online, I was going to demonstrate that I was going to be the best student you've ever had. Do you know what I mean? So it's a, it's a, it's a challenge and you know, as a, as someone involved with sport now, and I've always been around sport, you know, competition and, and, and demonstrating you how competitive you are. That, that's the way I'm wired. Right. So if someone challenges me, I'm going to take it on. Um, it's, you know, whether it's academia, whether it's sports on the sports field or whether it's in your life, you know, you, you, you've got to look at challenges and say, right, how am I going to respond to this? And there's certainly been occasions where I've, you know, I've been in a rut and I've, I've I've been in a sucky place and I might not have had such resilience. You know, at that moment in time, maybe just my naivety, my resilience was pretty high. And I was like, right, I'm going to get after this. Um, you know, other times I can probably reflect and say, I, I would have dealt with it differently. But um, certainly kind of came out on the right side of that. The, the, when I did my PhD defense, the last slide of my, my presentation was that quote. Um, and it brought my, uh, brought my advisor to tears. Um, when he saw it because he realized what he'd said and what I'd then achieved over the four years consequent to it so uh, yeah it, it really means a lot to me yeah I love that that's an awesome story uh, I like the especially like that part where you're talking about how we, we don't deserve anything we have to earn it everything that we think we want or think we might deserve like it actually has to be earned and that's something that when I hear athletes talk I hear them talk a lot about shoulds Mm -hmm. um, and how, you know, this should have happened, that should have happened, right. um, but it didn't. Uh, can you speak a little bit to that and how dealing with the reality is really how athletes continue to make progression? Is that, do you, you're following me where I'm coming from? Yeah, I, I, I do. And I think it, it's an amount of realism. Um, and I think, um, you know, in the world of pro sports in particular, where athletes from all sports, you know, things are often served up to you a little bit. Life can be comfortable. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the, the, you know, you, when I was in, in the English Premier League, you know, all your training kit is getting washed and, you know, it's going to be laid out on your hanger and it's going to be there with your boots are polished and someone else is polishing your cleats. You know, it's not you doing it. There's a, there's a certain amount of comfort that comes into it. Um, yeah. And I think that's kind of what you're getting to is, is how you manage the reality of what is day-to-day -day versus getting lost in comfort because uh, in, in pro, pro sports things can be comfortable um, 
And I think, you know, the best athletes go through, you know, attrition and obstacles. And I think that's understanding the reality of life is that nothing is given. Um, so what, what are you going to do to to adapt to that and understand it? And I think the best athletes are comfortable in what I would call reality. You know, even though they're multimillionaires, some of them, the best ones can understand the reality of day-to-day life. And I think that's a, a fascinating dichotomy that you get to see in pro sports is these very rich people, but just great down-to-earth folk or the very rich people which now sit out on a on an, on a planet on their own and you're like, holy crap, like you've just kind of lost touch completely. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, that's really key is being grounded um, yeah. and, and, and understanding that, you know, there's still a, there's still a struggle. There's still a challenge to, to make life is not easy. There's a lot of speed bumps and um, hurdles that are thrown at us. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. That's something that I, every time I hear someone say should, I kind of want to like, well, slow down. What dream world are you living in? Right. Let's get back to like what's real and but you know it is what it is. Let's deal with it and let's move forward. I like I like that a lot. You mentioned a little bit about uh, a big another big fork in the road moment for you or life altering experience was having kids. Um, Yeah. Why did that leave you to thrive? Why did that? Uh, kind of keep <laughs> my, my wife might say I'm not thriving. She, <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, listen, there's nothing more real than bringing someone into the world and having responsibility mm-hmm. for that person, you know, for shaping their development, for protecting them, for looking after them, you know, when some, someone's so vulnerable. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, listen, it, it, it's a game changer. It was a game changer for me. I was always a guy that thought, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, professional person I, I don't think i'm gonna have kids you know um but lo and behold i've got two now i love them dearly obviously but it was a it was a real reality check you know that okay this this is this is real life again talking about what real life is this you know these kids are you know they're relying on me to to guide them to support them to to help shape them to help you know help them you know understand the world to have fun to enjoy it um and that, that's been, uh, you know, for me, it's been a, a really positive thing. I think it's given me more balance than I had previously. Yeah. Sounds like they have some more to add to this. Yeah, there you go. That's, yeah. uh, that's my daughter, Frankie. This, that's, this is working from home, so I apologize. And, uh, yeah, that's and what she's telling the background that she's there. <laughs> that's all right. Um, what is the biggest change that's happened to you since you've, been, since you've become a father? Like, maybe uh, my- change like how have you seen life differently different perspective what's been the biggest change well i'll you know i'll steal some words from my wife again i think what it's done is it's forced me to pull away from just indulging 100 percent in my world of sports performance you know i mean in terms of the all and the all consuming world of right win at win at all costs success you know gold medals world championships like that to, to, to win championships and win world medals, it takes a, a ton of work. Do you know what I mean? Um, and that's what I've done all my life for my career has been around whether it's Olympic programs or in you know, professional sports. It's been about, you know, committing to the mission and, and driving the machine for success. Um, bringing, you know, Alfie and Frankie into the world has forced me to step away from that every now and again. So it's a good you know, a good opportunity to decompress, to, uh, 
you know, to forget about some of the, the professional priorities and again, become very real and aware of the, the things that really count in the world. Um, so that's certainly what it's done for me because if you ask my wife or others before and after having kids, you know, they'll, they'll tell you, you know, I was pretty consumed with everything and now I take, I take time to step away. I like that. That's awesome. Um, now there's a, Talking about your wife, you said that she's somebody that you really look up to in terms of uh, kind of patterning a thriving life that they, they do things that you like. I should probably follow that example. Uh, tell us about your wife. T tell us what makes her so awesome. No, she's a, she's a great realist. Um, she, she's, you know, she's very, she's very blunt. She's very flat frank. She sees the world through, you know, it's always a, a, a half glass is half full kind of approach. She's very positive. Um, but she's also very real about, you know, ups and downs and um, doesn't, you know, shade over things. It's like, right, let's attack it. Let's let's talk, you know, let's talk big boy talk and pull your pants up and let's go type stuff, you know. So um, I think, you know, that that's what has been, you know, really influential for me is just her outlook on life. And um, she rubs off on me with, with, with that kind of mentality. And I think I've, I've slowly changed and, and, and taken on a lot of her traits as well. Of course, that's awesome. In yeah. fact, b based on what you just said, and uh, kind of meshing two parts of the conversation about your wife and uh, about your definition of thriving, you said that thriving, I kind of picked out a few words and you said engaged energy and execution. Mm. And that sounds like kind of what your wife does. She, she has energy, yeah. she's engaged, she tries to get things done and execute on those things. Yeah, and and she enjoys the ride. You know, every every day is a blessing to her, and and she, you know, she's enjoying the ride, and she doesn't want wasted days. You know what I mean? When I'm when I'm in a funk, um, and when I'm down, because you know that still happens every now and again. Is mm -hmm. you know she hates it because she just sees it as wasted time, and I think that's the, you know, that's a great outlook to have. Um, you know, I'm I'm blessed that she she approaches it that way, and. Um, but yeah, it comes back to she's very real. Like, what are you, what are you doing messing around? This, these are precious moments. Let's let's get on with it. Let's enjoy it. Let's thrive and let's uh, let's make it happen. So you know, that's how she sees things, which is really a really good way to look at life. I think. I like that. Let's transition back to the UFC. So you talked about your role in the performance to what you do for the fighters. Um, I, I think a lot of people would love to hear, especially your opinion on what it takes to thrive as a fighter in the UFC. I'm sure there's a whole lot that goes into it. I probably could talk about it for uh, many conferences, as I'm sure you have. Right. But try to make it, I don't know, a few good points to help, to help the listeners understand what a UFC fighter goes through and what it takes to thrive. Yeah. I mean, you know, listen, it's, it's a, a unique um, athlete clientele that I'm working with right now in combat sports and fighters in particular. Um, and I've had the pleasure of working with 34 different pro or Olympic sports in my career. Um, and, and this is certainly the most diverse one I've worked with. Um, but I think, you know, the fighter mindset is huge. Mm. You know? So um, the, the warrior spirit, the, the fighter mindset has to, it, that can either, you know, maximize people's potential or it can crush them. You know what I mean? And I think when when a fighter loses a fight, you know, a lot of them take that badly, you know, because it's it's a fight, it's competition. I'm the warrior, I'm supposed to win and I'm go you know, I'm go out my shield type thing. Um 
So ba- balancing the mindset for our athletes is is a really crucial thing. You know, we, we don't want to take the wild out the stallion, um, but we can train the stallion. Do you know what I mean? Mm. We that that's what we want. There needs to be uh, they need to be raw. The, the fighters, you know, they need to be some some rawness to the way they approach life um, because it's not a soft sport that they're working out in. Um, yeah. But at the same time, they need to step out of that warrior mindset every now and again. They need a release. They need to mm-hmm. um, decompress. Everything they do is red line, go, go, go. You know, it's, it's the challenge. They're going to beat every workout. They're going to kill every workout. They're going to you know, win every competition. And when that doesn't happen, that becomes problematic. So this mm-hmm. balance of the fighter mindset, I think, is is a crucial thing for us, um, or a crucial thing that our fighters have to get right um, when they're talking about thriving. So, what's that process like? Developing that fighter mindset, bouncing back from losses, better. Is there a specific process that they go through or is it kind of just individual basis? Because I'm sure that's kind of the approach is very individualistic with how diverse it is. Well, I mean, I think, yeah, everyone's different. You know, mm-hmm. every, everyone is, is different and that's not just their fighters, that's every athlete. But I think every fighter responds to wins and losses differently. Um, and I think, you know, if, if you're not confident in our sport, it's, it's um, you know, it's tough. You're on a, on a, on a downward slide, you know. Yeah. Um, you, you've got to have confidence in your own skills and your own attributes. So I think, you know, what we message, you know, what, what, not necessarily what we message, but what I see, what I observe is, Two or three things that are really crucial around the fighter mindset. Number number one is kind of routine and structure. You know, there needs to be um, a, a structure, a pattern, a, 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 a cadence to understanding what their life looks like. Otherwise, it's like super highs and super lows. And then there's, there's nothing else to hang on to. So having structure, and, I, and that's not just training structure. It's also structure outside of, you know, of training, a release with your family or whatever. But having structure on a day-to-day basis is, is really important. Um, I think affirmation of success is, is a really crucial thing for fighters. They need to be seen as competitive people that are succeeding. Um, so whether that is small wins or small targets in the weight room or, you know, imp- you know the speed at which you rehabilitate, you know, um, from an injury um, or, you know, within the technical tactical training, demonstrating that you can get success, um, that, that's crucial. Um, so I think wherever we can build that into the program and the structure of what we do at the UFC, PI, um, is, is to just tickle success, you know, just... Just give it a little tickle every now and again because these are people that need affirmation of success. Um, so I think between structure and routine and affirmation of success and kind of a competitive nature to achieving that success on a micro level is really beneficial to feeding positive mindset for fighters. I like that. That's really cool. And then you have a whole team that helps that. You have diet, you have strength and conditioning, uh, physical therapy all of that that helps lots of touch points with the athletes and helps all of that mm. yeah and you know the messaging has to be the same and i think that's the cradle you know the, we're blessed to have this multi-interdisciplinary stru- service structure um, mm. with lots of different technical disciplines 
um, which is awesome for the fighters. But also what we've got to be on top of our game is that we make sure that the, the conversation and the messaging that happens in the weight room is then the same type of conversation that happens in the clinic. And it's the same type of conversation that happens with our diet and our nutrition team. So that we've got continuity of messaging, we're further promoting this ego, this kind of feeling of, oh, the strength coach just said that, and the, the PT's saying it as well. So that must be right. You know, that must be how mm. I'm going about my work. Um, so, yeah, getting our team connected is, is on a, a very intricate level is really important for that. Yeah. Sounds like walking into the UFC PI should be a, a like a complete culture that you're walking into. Like this is how like, everybody's on the same page. Everybody's speaking the same language. I mean, as the person that's kind of directed to kind of manage and coordinate that, that's certainly our ambition. That's certainly yeah. the, the challenge that we're faced and what we pride ourselves on doing is this, this continuity, continuity, this integrated service delivery um, and also an environment that thrives and breeds success, you know, that, that is built around thriving as, as the purpose of this yeah. podcast. But, uh, you know, we, we, whether it's your, you know, your health, your fu fun fundamental health, whether it's your physical or mental well-being, whether it's, you know, the nature of your performance, we, we want to maximize and optimize your potential. Um, but we want to yeah. do that in an environment that, that shapes it effectively. I like that. Um, you mentioned a little bit about before the podcast, a little bit about working with uh, GB basketball, Great Britain basketball, I'm assuming, right? Yeah. Um, and there was an experience that you had while you were on the road that really helped you kind of get things clear, I, I think would be a good way to put it. Could you tell us a little bit more about that experience? Yeah. I mean, it's, again, it, the, it's an interesting story. The, the, you know, the UK got announced as having, you know, the London 2012 Olympics. So mm -hmm. six years, seven years before that, um, they created a Great Britain basketball team. And I was the inaugural head strength and conditioning coach for the Great Britain basketball team through to the London 2020 Games, um, which was obviously a, a massive kind of yeah. opportunity for me. And, you know, I was working with boxing and other other programs, lightweight rowers through to the Beijing Olympics, which, you know, that kind of overlapped. And then when Beijing was done, it was like four years to London. Um, so here I am, kind of the head S&C coach for, you know, national team program, Olympic bound, et cetera, et cetera. We've got superstars from the NBA on our team and all this type of stuff. And, you know, you can, you, you can say this is an, a, a really stellar kind of position, which it was. Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, three, four years into it, and you realize that every summer when the guys are not playing in their, like, their professional leagues, be it the NBA or European pro leagues in Spain or Israel or wherever it might be, the team would come together every summer for the international season, let's say. And that was usually 12 weeks continuous through the summer uh, from, like, the end of May um, and it would take up your whole summer and we would just be on the road and we'd kind of be a traveling team playing in different Euro basket tournaments and these types of things. After a while, that became really attritious. Like it became like the monotony and the time away from your loved ones and your home um, where you put strain on relationships um, living out of a bag in a hotel room becomes less and less glamorous. Um, yeah. And it really got me at one point, you know, got, got me really down. Like it was a, a real 
kind of burden where it should have been the opposite you know going to the games was obviously amazing but the the process before that was was pretty pretty arduous towards the end um, and I resented it I didn't enjoy it I resented doing it it's like oh man it's it's summertime again I'm going to be going on the road with the team which is the opposite the antithesis of what you would expect um, mm-hmm. now the learning you know the learnings that I took from that were interesting because at that point I had NBA teams offering me jobs for strength coach jobs in the NBA and actually ended up turning down some really amazing jobs in the NBA just because my mindset wasn't right you know my mindset was thinking hey here's a here's a season with 86 games or whatever it is on the road you know going back and forth three three games a week you know for for eight nine months the NBA is is a tough tough league Um, and I was coming out of doing that every summer and that's kind of what stuck in my head so I turned some of these jobs down uh, Mm -hmm. you know and it was just timing, right? You know, I always say the decision at the moment that you make the decision is the right decision. Um, full reflection, maybe I should have taken some of those jobs, I don't know. Um, but I think it was a consequence of the the rough experiences that I'd had throughout the summer when I was with the national team because it was pretty detrimental to my health and my mindset. So how did you thrive beyond that? Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm I'm more mature now. I'm more I'm more reflective. I think I manage myself better. I think I do a better job of checking my step. I always say that I check my step sooner. So I think when I start, you know, if I start getting fatigued and demotivated and consumed by things, I feel like I can recognize it or check my step sooner to then try and make decisions to get me out of that rather than it falling falling deeper and deeper. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, having triggers and recognizing some triggers is, is key um, and important. And listen, I, I, I'm, I'm human, right? There's still times when those, I, don't, I miss those triggers and, yeah. and my wife has to yank me out of it. But uh, I think, you know, I'm, I'm better at just acknowledging things and understanding, you know, the different triggers that set me off and also how I can manage my time and my workload a little bit better to try and avoid some of the all-consuming things that really drive you down. I like that. A lot of times athletes, especially athletes, since that's kind of who I majorly work with myself, but there's a whole body of work that athletes aren't looking at. Like there's all this information that if they just sat down, maybe even scientifically looked at it and said, okay, what's, what, is, what are these results telling me? analyze them and say, okay, when this happens and I think these things, I never perform well. So when I start thinking these things, I'm going to switch. And that's exactly what you're doing. And I love that. I think that we can all, if we, if we approach life a little bit more deliberately in our steps, checking our steps, I think that we thrive much quicker through these down times where, where of course, like you said, we're human. Things aren't always going to be sunshine. I don't think life was meant to be sunshine, but I I love what you said there, checking your step. And knowing, knowing if I take this step, probably based on my past, this is where it's going to go. And, yeah. and, and, and readjusting as needed. I think that's awesome. That's some solid gold content right there. <laughs> All right, I'm, good, good. I'm excited, excited to put that out there to the world. Uh, <laughs> um, so one of my, the things I really like talking about, and, and we've mentioned this a little bit before, is about the suck. And, and you, you've already shared multiple experience of maybe the suck that you went through and, and how you changed it, flipped the script so that you can then thrive um, or maybe just learning from it so that it doesn't happen again. So my question is, is there a blueprint that you follow 
is there a, a a specific like series steps that you follow or that you tell other athletes or people that you work with to follow that maybe the listeners can also implement um i wouldn't i wouldn't say it's a blueprint all right and i, I think every everyone's different um but but for me it comes down to a few key things number one core values like like what are your core values and um if if you default to your core values then you should you should be able to get somewhere close to you know, happiness or being being comfortable with your situation. Do you know what I mean? So we, yeah. I, I do a lot of reflection with our staff in particular, and also myself. What what are our core values? That because they define us. And if it's not if if something happens and you don't default to your core value, then it's not a core value, right? You yeah. know, it's just something you would like it to be. So I think you know, for, for me, it's I I I have values, and I try to to reflect those in my activities in my downtime. Right, so what what makes me happy? What do I enjoy doing? What gives me pleasure? Um, mm-hmm. So I think you know, looking at your values um, is is something which we talk. You know, I talk to my staff, my athletes, and and try to do myself. Mm-hmm. I think before you go on, can you rewind to that? I, I really loved what you said. I want you to say it again. The if if you have core values and you don't default to them, then they're not actually core values. Right. Can you expand yeah. on that a little bit? Well, ultimately, you've got to be, if you're put into a pressure situation or a challenging situation, you should default to your core values. That's, that's how you should operate in stressful or challenging situations. Now, if you do something different or you think you have a core value and that then isn't presented in that situation, that's not a core value because you haven't defaulted to it. It's not a reset button that's taking you exactly to what you think your core values are. Um, so consistency of demonstrating values is a demonstration of how core they are to you. And that's what, what I would call high performance behavior. Um, and we, we talk about that with our staff is, you know, in these pressure situations, what, what, were your, what were your behaviors? What did you do? How did you operate? Did you demonstrate what you've told me are your core values of, you know, teamwork or communication or leadership or mm. empathy or, you know, whatever someone gives their key, key core values out. And, and, and I look at myself like that. So if I haven't demonstrated those behaviors, then your core values, what you think are in your head are not, and you, you need to kind of reflect a little bit more. Um, yeah. So we do a lot of work around that. I, I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's a, that's a really I don't even know how to say it. Um, I, in Spanish, uh, it's a, like Apollo. Like it's like it's very very sharp. Like if if you're evaluating your core values and that those aren't the things you're defaulting to, then they're not your core values, and you got to reassess it or or develop them as core, as core values or whatever it is anywhere in between. But I love that. That's so so straight straight shooting, just straight there. Yeah. That's awesome. I, well, I appreciate it. And I think, like I say, that, that's the reality of what we're dealing with. I always say we're in a people industry. We're not in a sport mm-hmm. industry. You know? And I think when you're working with people, be it staff, like colleagues, um, mm-hmm. be it athletes, be it coaches, we're, we're, we're trying to figure out people's characteristics and personality to optimize our interaction with another human. Um, now that has got ups and downs to it, and but I think you know values mm. and what people demonstrate as their core values come in at every point of that interaction. You know what I mean? And I think yeah. that's why 
we prioritize understanding that with our team because if you're having a bad day and I, I, you, you shared, shared your core values with me, well, I'm now going to understand where, you sh- where you're going to go to. You know? So if, if Clay's having a bad day or he's getting stressed or he's, he's under pressure, your core values should become more and more apparent. Now, I can flex my interaction with you to maximize mm-hmm. or minimize you know, the potential of it getting blowing up even further. You know? I, can, mm-hmm. I can flex my ability based on, on your core values. So we, we share our core values around our team. So that then we can reference each other. And if I know my, my strength coach is over here having a good day and my nutritionist over here having a bad day, I can now start trying to pull triggers, coming out of word again, based mm-hmm. on their core values to bring them back to normality in a habitual baseline level or to just maximize their performance behavior and, and really optimize their, their work. I like it. That's solid. That sounds like some solid teamwork and culture that's being built over there. Yeah, it, it's it's culture, um, and it's mm-hmm. you know, it's soft skills. It's it's often the less sexy stuff. Everyone wants to talk about X's and O's and sets mm-hmm. and reps, and, you know, championships. But it comes down to the environment. I'm a huge believer in environment shapes behaviors, and not the other way around, right? So if we can mm-hmm. create a performance environment that is built around Definitely. good performance behaviors, subconsciously our athletes now can operate in a fashion that they don't even know they're doing it but it's because the environment forces them to act in a particular way. Yeah. You know, so that, that's key to our culture of what we do over at the PI. I like that. Speaking along those similar lines, when it comes to success and like winning results and thriving, what I see obviously is that the more you thrive, the greater chance that results are. But there's also been some debate on the show and with other colleagues of mine that, if you're not succeeding, then you're not thriving. Can you speak to that and, and tell me kind of your, your perspective? Can you succeed? I mean, I can you thrive it, without succeeding? Yeah, I mean, I think you can. Um, it comes down to your definition of success. Um, mm-hmm. But I think you can be in, like I say, a habitual state and still thrive. You, you know, you yeah. might not necessarily have to succeed in terms of, you know, I've just got another thousand dollars in my bank account or, um, you know, I just beat this guy at racquetball last week or whatever, you know, it, it, it might not necessarily be that. You might be comfortable with your habitual status. Now, if you're comfortable with just the day to day of what your life is, I would say you can thrive in that fashion as long as you've got the right mindset to accept that that's what you're doing. Now, not everybody has that mindset. I would say that I'm very competitive as a person and I struggle with just like uh, the baseline. Like I'm, I, I'm, I'm constantly striving for more and more and more. So I would come back to what you said and your colleagues that you've had on the show is that for me, my mindset is, yes, I have to have success to thrive. Right? But I think there are other people that are quite comfortable thriving in just the normality of day-to-day because they've created an environment in their home um, or their routine or whatever it may be that just makes them comfortable and cozy, you know, like, but that, that's great for them. They might not necessarily be succeeding at anything in particular, but they're accepting of where they're at. And I think we're all wired very differently. And I think that, that would be my response to that kind of question. So for me, yeah, I need to succeed or I need to be succeeding because I'm kind of, 
driven that way and, and if i'm not if i'm not if, if if the house is not tidy on a saturday or if i've not done some kind of home improvements that i need to do i've not succeeded so the weekend has been lost right and i'm like tearing myself up because i've not succeeded and achieved what i was going to do for the weekend sure. so that's kind of lost my wife she's like no we're just enjoying a good a, a good time with the family like it's it's right now right here we're enjoying it that's i would say that's thriving so i think it's very different for everybody I, I go back to one thing you said in the answer is it just depends on what success is to you. I think that's, that's ultimately where it comes down to. Like if your success is to have, if, if your definition of success is to have adventure, then if you're having an adventure, then, then that's, then you're thriving and you're successful all at the same time. I like that a lot. That's, that's oh. a key, key, key insight for thriving and success. Yeah, and it's it's you know I, I, we've kind of talked about it, but it's it's mindset. Like, what what is your personal mindset, and then how far is it getting to towards your values? You know, mm -hmm. if you enjoy your values, that like like if you're doing something and it's close or it's ticking the boxes of what you value, your personal values, I would say you're thriving. <laughs> I like you know that. I mean? like, no, like I, I can totally sit. I can sit on a surfboard for three hours in the ocean and not catch a wave and be the happiest person gone. <laughs> I like just, just bobbing up and down in the line now. I just line up. I just love that. There's some, that's my happy place, right? I don't get to go there because I live in the desert very you know, I don't get to go very often because I live in Vegas. But uh, that's what I thrive for. When, when I get there, I'm not really succeeding at anything. I'm just sitting on a surfboard in the ocean and I feel calm and at peace. I would say that moment I'm thriving. I'm not succeeding in anything, but I'm thriving. And like it's energizing me and I enjoy it. And it gives me, you know, it gives me that good feeling. So it's, it's values and, and mindset, I think, coming combined to, to decide whether you're succeeding or not. I like that a lot. That's a solid answer. When it comes to this, so my last question for you, Duncan, I, I, I this flew by so fast. <laughs> Yeah. But the last one is, and this is one I ask every guest on the show, is what is your message to others so that they can deliberately design a life where they can thrive in any situation? You can pick your audience. You can pick fighters. You can pick staff. You can pick the, the whole world, all seven point whatever billion people there are. Uh, what is your message to thrive? I mean, that, that's, that's massive, right? I mean, yeah. I don't know that I can do a good answer in this. <laughs> I mean, listen, what I can only call on my own kind of experiences. What, what, what I try to do is I always strive for, um, strive to be the best version of myself I can be, you know, and that's kind of cliche, but the best version of me is someone that is continually improving and demonstrating excellence, let's say, or ambition. You know, so I think having ambition in your life is, is really important. You know, not, not necessarily not being comfortable with what you have, but seeking, seeking something better and an and improvement. I think that that's, you know, whether it's singing a song or whether it's, you know, your house or whether it's how, how quickly you run 100 meters, you know, I think just trying to have something to aspire to is, is crucial. And then I think, doing that on a framework of self-acceptance um which is tough for me personally but i know in the world of social media and all this type of bs that we're around now it's it's really hard to be authentic 
Um, so I, I, I try to be authentic and try to be the best value of my, like version of myself that I can be, but with the yeah. desire to aspire to be better. Now, I think if you've got those two things, if you're authentic with yourself, you understand yourself, but you're aspiring to improve, um, then I think that's, a, that's a good, a, two good things to start working on, I would say. I like that. Hey, Thrivecast Nation, this is Duncan French. Thanks again so much for being on the show, man. Really no appreciate worries. it. No worries. Yeah, no worries at all. Thank you. We'll see you all in the next episode.